In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and lived for a while among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Thank you, Christy. Good morning. If you haven't yet uh, passed out the handouts in the center aisle, would you go ahead and pass those out? They're uh, listed in the middle of the pews there in the center aisles. Go ahead and pass those on over. If you'd like to follow the sermon outline and those handouts, we'll help you out there. While you're passing those down, make sure you're open to John chapter 1. We'll start there in just a couple minutes here. John chapter 1. And you can follow along in those handouts, and uh, we'll tell you along the way how to fill those out. And so that you can be prepared to follow along with the scriptures we're going to be talking about today. Those are listed in order in that handout. So just go from one to the next and have that ready because that's the order we'll go ahead and use for scriptures today. We want to get used to having to thumb through and find it. Because, friends, we live in a church and Christian culture where increasing numbers of folks don't know how to look up verses and chapters in the Bible and don't know the books of the Bible. So we're going to do a little experiment for a while here on sermons and Sunday mornings and uh, not put it on the wall. Ooh, crazy changes afoot at First Christian Church. Um, we want you to get used to having to actually thumb through it yourself. And uh, so get those cue Bibles out and uh, let's hear the pages turn because we're going to go through Scripture. We want you to get used to that on Sunday mornings. Um, so there you have it. Let's go ahead and pray as we uh, get into John, the first chapter here. Lord, we ask that you would speak, that you would be among us through your scriptures today, that your Holy Spirit would come together with those words into our hearts and shape us and form us and make us into the people you've called us to be. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. A simple little word, four letters long. It's the first blank in your outline. It's a powerful word, a powerful word. It's with. With is an incredibly powerful word. It's a tipping point kind of word. When you add the word with, it changes things. A bond is created. You may be walking into somewhere and somebody that you know doesn't know the person with you and he says, it's okay, he's with me. A bond is created. 
If there's somebody over there and, and kids are playing and there's a kid who doesn't know who these other kids are and these kids say, hey, come, come play with us. Instantly, there's a bond that's created because of with. I'm told that when you say she's with child, that with changes everything. With is just a, a preposition, we call it. It's a preposition, which means it's a, it's a bridging word. It's a bridging word that expresses the relationship between two words or clauses. It tells how those words, those clauses, fit together. Theologically, with is a word that connects people with each other and with God. For example, we all know that the best way to show that you love somebody is not just to say it. It's to actually demonstrate it, to be with the person. This happens in all of these dating relationships that become marriages. You know, you, you hold hands. I mean, like right, right before you're going to get married. That's the last step. You hold hands. You eat together. You share time together. You study. To, well, okay. You study together, uh, as we did in college. And then, and then she tells you you're going to get... I mean, um, you marry... Uh, And then you are together. You are with each other all the time. When you take vows in marriage, for example, to have and to hold, for richer, for poorer, for sickness and in health, it's a vow to be fully with that person. That's why at Christmas we call Jesus, this is the next blank, Emmanuel. That's why we call Jesus Emmanuel. You can spell it with an I or an E. Both are acceptable. Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. Because that's how God, as this sort of intellectual concept of truth and purity and holiness and perfection, that's how that becomes real to us. Emmanuel, God being with us. With is the personal demonstration of the truth that God loves us. With is the personal demonstration of the truth that God loves us. Emmanuel means God with us. And that's what incarnation is all about. That big fancy word we're talking about today. This is the third week of our Theosaurus series. We talked in Theosaurus at the beginning about becoming uh, caretakers, stewards of God's mysteries and truths. 1 Corinthians 4.1 talks about how we are meant to be stewards, caretakers of the mysteries of God. So in this series, we want to talk about how we get to be walking theosauri. It's like a thesaurus, but it puts that word theos in there, which means God. So, so we want to be incarnations of the truth of God to the world as walking theosauri. Uh, incarnation is a Latin word that means in flesh. If you're taking notes, that'd be a good one to write down. It's a Latin word that means in flesh, in the flesh. And no, incarnation has nothing to do with flowers. It means that God comes down to us. You could say he he descends to be with us. Literally, he descends to be on our level. God. On our level. The infinite, holy, perfect God of all creation is with us. That's crazy. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But, 
but <laughs> we do a pretty good job of messing up this with God relationship. That's the next blank here, us not with God. Instead of living with lives that create bridges with each other and with God, we call we live what I'm calling not with God lives, apart lives. That's when we live separately from God's designs for us. We are not living as God intended. And the especially crazy part about that is that it illustrates our sins significantly because we don't have with God kind of relationship unless he comes down to us. We do not make it happen by ourselves in our flesh. That's one of the truths of incarnation. And that's the problem. That's the problem that, that is solved by Jesus. John 1, the first chapter, we're going to focus on these first couple of verses here especially. Enter Jesus into the picture. Turn to John 1 if you haven't already. We're going to, we're going to focus on these first couple of verses. That first phrase here in the first uh, verse of John says, In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. That phrase, that phrase echoes the opening phrase and chapter of the book of Genesis. It harkens back to the creation story where it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created all things. The heavens and the earth is a phrase that means everything. Name it, he made it. All created things fall under the category of the heavens and the earth. So John uses this phrase here, in the beginning, he uses it on purpose. He uses it intentionally. You see, if you were a Jew and you heard these words in the beginning, your ears would perk up because you would instantly recognize that in the beginning harkens back to Genesis 1. Everyone who was a Jew would know this phrase. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. They would ring loud and clear to all Jews who heard it. Back to the creation story. So here comes the Apostle John saying in John 1, In the beginning was the Word. That's the next phrase we're going to focus on here, was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Later in this chapter, in verse 14, if you're taking notes, John identifies that Word as Jesus. He explicitly identifies the one who was in the beginning with God as Jesus. In verse 14, where he talks about how Jesus dwelt among us. Think for just a second about, about that word, word. <laughs> Think about the word, word, for just a second. I want to tell you about a, a conception of that word that the Greeks had. The non-Jews who would be hearing this would hear, in the beginning was the word, and their ears would perk up too. Because the word was, if you're taking notes, an impersonal an impersonal principle of reason that gave order to the universe. The other, the other word for that is logos, L-O-G-O-S. That's the Greek word for word. It's the impersonal principle of order and reason by which all things in the universe, according to the Greeks, fit and ran. The word logos was that sort of impersonal principle. So to the Greeks of the day, hearing this, you might say, who created the world? Well, the Logos. Who made the seas and the skies? Well, the Logos. 
who will win the World Series? The Reds. Little chance of that, although they're doing okay. The secular world of the day, that is the Greeks, would have thought that everything was kind of held together in order by this logos, this word. So a Greek would hear John 1.1, and their ears would perk up too. Oh, oh, yeah, the beginning. In the beginning was the logos. I get it, yeah. So John comes along, and in John 1.1, he redefines this concept. He redefines this logos concept for both the Jew who would have heard Genesis 1 and for the Greek who would have heard about this impersonal force of reason, this this order. John comes along and he infuses logos with a deeper meaning. And that's the focus for us. That's what we mean by incarnation. He infuses this logos with a deeper meaning and and says, this word... This Lagos who is coming to the earth, who has come, is far superior. Why? Because of this. This Lagos lives with us. This word lives with us. Can you imagine how crazy that sounded to these Jews and these Greeks? It's not, it's not even possible. Most of them would have thought it absolutely blasphemous to suggest that a man could be the Lagos. So first thing we want to note is that John says that this word has always existed. That's the next blank there on the sheet of paper. This word has always existed. And as he says, he identifies it with Jesus in verse 14. The word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. That word dwelt means to live, to abide. It literally means he tented. He pitched his tent with us. He tabernacled with us. So this logos, this word, actually lives among us. Next part of verse 1 and verse 2. The second half of verse 1 says, The Word was with God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2, He was in the beginning with God. He was with God in the beginning. I'm going to say this kind of slowly, because this is pretty nerdy sounding. So if you're taking notes, I'm going to repeat it. This phrase here that we've just read at the end of verse 1 and in verse 2, does not merely imply that this word, this logos, this Jesus was in the presence of God, but also that there existed a kind of interactive reciprocity. Yes, interactive reciprocity. Uh, this expression that we talked about here in 1 and 2 is not just something that's saying, hey, Jesus, Jesus is with God in the beginning. He was there. God was creating things. Jesus was sitting there going, good job, God. That's not what's going on, even though he was there. It's, this phrase says that there was sort of an interactive reciprocity between the word Jesus and between God. Let me tell you what I mean. It's like in any meaningful relationship. Interactive reciprocity, which is that next uh, uh, two blanks there, it means that when you mess with one, you've messed with the other. It means you've messed with one, you've messed with the other. There's a one-to-one relationship. 
It's how the parent feels when another kid at school starts to bully their own kid. It's how a team member feels when somebody from the opposing team commits a flagrant foul on my team member. When somebody starts talking about a family member, the hair comes, stands up on your neck a little bit. When somebody starts talking about my wife, I just, well, I just refer them to her because she's a big girl and can take care of herself. <laughs> So to say, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, was like saying the Father and the Son are a team. They're an interactive reciprocity. Feel free to summarize the sermon today to your friends who asked you at lunch, what you guys learned today? You can say, we learned that God the Father and God the Son are an interactive reciprocity. And, and watch for the blank stares. So the second, the second way that John infuses this concept with deeper meaning, the first being that the word was eternal, the second way is that this word, this logos, relates personally to himself in a reciprocal, interactive kind of way. That is a significant point. That God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit from eternity past related personally to one another in a meaningful and interactive, loving kind of way. That's significant because if God is going to relate to you and me, if God is going to relate to humanity, He's going to have to do it somehow through a mediator because God is spirit. So John has established these two things. The Word has always existed and the word, the logos, is a personal relationship and not just an idea. So look at verse 3 for just a second. Verse 3 says, All things were made through him. All things were made through him, that is the word, logos, Jesus. And without him was not anything made that has been made. We're in verse 3. Let me show you just briefly from Scripture how Jesus was not just present, but he participated in creation. That's the next blank there, is creation. Jesus actually participated in creation. Turn to Genesis 1 and to Colossians 1. We're going to look at those two uh, chapters for just a minute here. Genesis 1, 26 and Colossians 1, 15. Listen to those pages turn. Genesis 1.26 says this. This is during his uh, sixth day of creation. It's the crowning achievement of his creation. And on day six, here in Genesis 1.26, it says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now count with me here. Let us, plural, that's one time he uses the plural so far. Let us, notice the plural, make man in our 
plural, image, after our, again the plural, third time, likeness. Three times we see the use of the plural here. And so God, who has this interactive sort of reciprocity, that he has a relationship with himself, God is speaking to himself. Let us make man in our image. Apparently you're not the only one who speaks to yourself. Looks like you're, I mean we're, in good company. Um, Now turn to Colossians, the first chapter. Colossians, the first chapter, verse 15. It says this. He, meaning Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So Jesus is the likeness, the image of God, but not like you and I are. You see, he's called the firstborn over all creation. But some of you might be thinking to yourself, I thought you said he was not created. He always existed. Remember, the first point we made was that the Lagos always existed. And if he's not the firstborn, I mean, if he is the firstborn, as I said, then he's a created being. But Paul is not speaking of Christ here as simply being the first one born, but as being the firstborn son, capital S, having firstborn rights over all creation. He's saying that Christ is like a firstborn son, having all the rights and the privileges of sonship. The rest of this passage proves this. Look at verses 16 and following. For by him, that is Jesus, this is Colossians 1, 16 and following, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things... And in him, all things hold together. Now remember Genesis 1. God is making man in whose image? Well, if God's speaking to himself, he says our. Which means that you and I, crazy as it sounds, are made in the image of the eternally existing before time God in the person of Jesus Christ. That means that you and I are created in a way that no other creation is created. We bear the marks in some way of the God who was eternally existing before time. So, if Christ was present in eternity past and participated in creation. And he is the image of the invisible God. Then his presence among us to live with us, to pitch his tent with us, is the single most important event in the history of the universe and should be the defining moment in our lives that God comes to be with us. Look at Colossians, the second chapter, for just a moment here. We're going to finish with Colossians 2. And some of these verses from uh, Colossians 2, 6 to 12. If Jesus is who he claims to be, if Jesus is the image of the invisible God, and we are created in his image, then read verse 6 here. 
This tells us who we are and what we are to do with our lives. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, sent from eternity past to model who you are meant to be, as you've received Him, walk in Him. Walk with Him. Walk in a way that incarnates Him. That demonstrates who He is called to be in the flesh and who you and I are called to be. Some people outside and even inside the church misread the Gospel and see in it something other than incarnation. They read into the Gospel a God who stands far off and who judges from above, weighing us on scales of acceptability and whether or not we are good enough. Others read in the Gospel a God who is so like us that He is too weak to live a sinless life that can make up for our sins on the cross. When we read this Gospel of incarnation of God come to live with us, it calls us to be a different people. It calls us to live likewise. Therefore, as you received, so walk in Him. So walk with Him. The Gospel, friends, is about living externally focused lives. Externally focused lives where our heart beats with the same things that move God. Incarnation is about this. What moved God was your lostness. So the gospel of incarnation doesn't allow us to sit in our pews and stay in our homes behind nicely landscaped gardens. It demands that we are called to work hard and to pray fervently for the kingdom of God to be displayed, to be illustrated, to be in the flesh, to be incarnated. Too often we do the opposite. (laughs) Too often we do the opposite of illustrating the kingdom of God in the flesh. We are prone to the opposite of incarnation, which is manipulation. That's what happens when we live apart lives instead of with God lives. It's what happens when we have relationships with people that are based on our selfish terms and what you and I get out of it. It's what happens when we hurt each other in relationships by acting out of selfish ambition and judgment instead of selfless grace and love. And friends, we in the church can be an incredibly hypocritical lot. We are really good at manipulation and acting out of selfish ambition and proving ourselves right. We're good at judgment instead of mercy. I mean, really, think about it. We are really good at creating environments where we manipulate people to look exactly like we want them to look. We are sometimes way more worried about making sure that people fit into our molds 
than we are about encouraging vibrant spiritual life with God. We are more apt at church to hear somebody say something like, wish he could have dressed up a bit more, than you are to hear someone say, I wish we had more time to study the Scriptures. I wish we had more time to sing those wonderful songs in worship. We are so good, in fact, at incarnating our own human-centered versions of the Gospel that sometimes we hardly know how to incarnate grace in a way that can be likened to God's own example of mercy. Our patterns of human-centered manipulation sometimes become the ruts beyond which we cannot see. Which is why it's called incarnation. I suppose it's fitting that grace, that mercy, that love from a perfect and sinless God has to come from Him to us. I don't suppose it can work any other possible way. Oh, we try. (laughs) Oh, we try. But incarnation teaches us. The beauty of incarnation is that God Himself doesn't weigh us on our own scales. He doesn't even weigh us on His perfect scales. He comes down to our level so that we would know Him and love Him and be known by Him and loved by Him. The crazy part is that we get interactive reciprocity with the God of the universe. I'm going to close with an article I found in a Christian Standard magazine. Preacher and college president Matt Proctor talks about the incarnation. He says this, My five-year-old Carl... And my three-year-old Conrad, they love it when I dress like them. They put on jeans and a blue t-shirt, and they come to ask me to put on jeans and a blue t-shirt. And when I do, they have this little saying. They will look at me and look at themselves, and they will say, Look, Dad, same, same. For my birthday, my five-year-old Carl bought me a North Carolina t-shirt because he has a North Carolina blue t-shirt. He puts it on, I put it on, and he comes up to me and he says, same, same. When I play living room football with my boys, he says, the younger Conrad won't let me play while I'm standing up because I'm big and I'm scary and I'm towering over him. The theological term for that is completely other. Instead, he insists I get down on my knees. When I am down at eye level, Conrad puts his hand on my shoulders and he says, There, see, Dad? Same, same. They like it when I enter their world, he says. Uh, This summer, I scraped my leg working on my house, he writes. When Conrad fell down and he scraped his legs, his, his leg, he pointed at my scab on my knee and then he showed me his and he said, Hey, Dad, It's the same. It's the same. Friends, God, God Himself has felt what we feel. In the incarnation, He chose not to say, 
I'm going to stay completely other. He got down at eye level. In the incarnation, God experienced what it's like to be tired, to be discouraged. He knows what it's like to hurt and to bleed. In your pain, you may be tempted to say, like I am, God, you have no idea what I'm going through. You, you have no idea how badly I'm hurting. But friends, we worship a God who can respond. Yes, I do. He can point to your wounds and then to his own. And he can say, look, same, same. I've entered your world. I know how you feel. I have been there. I am with you now. I care and I can help. That is the message, friends, of incarnation. That the perfect, sinless, holy God of the universe wants to have relationship with us and has experienced everything we experience so that we would know him and love him. Friends, we want to invite you into that relationship. If you've never named Jesus as Christ and Lord of your life, we want you to know that he came so that you can have that relationship. If you're looking for a church home, if you're a baptized believer in Jesus, and you're looking for a place where you can continue to develop that relationship with God that you know he came to make for you, we ask that as we stand that you would come forward.